Virgil Trucks writes in, why are the Preds a bad three-on-three team? Uh, seven overtime games, zero goals, four losses. Do they even practice three-on-three? They look completely disorganized. Well, they certainly don't seem to practice their three-on-three line changes. No, they don't. They, I think I mean, whenever we see them on three-on-three, they'll just roll the same three guys out there to start and hope it ends quickly, and then after that, I don't know. It never does, though, and if it's nope. ending quickly, it's going to be in the back of their own net. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know because, like, I've heard so many people say, man, yeah, three-on-three sucks, it's so boring, whatever. And it's like, yeah, just because you're watching the Predators play, there's something about what they do is they, they don't generate chances, and they're very slow on three-on-three, too, where you watch um, the the three-on-three game with uh, um, Chicago and L.A., uh, just a couple of weeks ago, like, oh my god, that was one of the most entertaining things that I saw. I watched before the uh, Preds game uh, yesterday, the, uh, Winnipeg and Washington went to three-on-three, three, and Evgeny Kuznetsov there is seriously just, like, doing laps around the O-zone and, like, making things happen, and they're having chance after chance after chance. The Predators don't do that, and I don't know if it's because they're just too stagnant, and they're waiting for that perfect opportunity to go before that they... Um, before they shoot, which makes sense because if you miss the net, then you're starting a breakout for the other team. It's going to end badly. But they just seem very hesitant to get anything going at all. Yeah, I think when you look at who, how Predators, how the Predators have been scoring, it's been shots away from quote the high danger area, which do kick, which do kick out those rebounds. So I think they're being a little bit cautious. But also, when you have Ribeiro out there, and Mike Ribeiro is good at a lot of parts of hockey as far as involving offense, but three on three is not a good fit for him because how slow he plays and just kind of head up looking around for a pass slows the tempo down. And uh, I don't know if that's a great fit. Oh, no, it's a terrible fit. I don't know why he would ever be out there for that. Chris Bush writes in, if asked, uh, would you play a part of reporter in the next Barb Murphy presser commercial? And what would you ask uh, Barb Murphy? No. Welcome in to the show that is just bracing for wind and impact and, and wearing shorts at, on in December because this is awesome. This is the Predcast presented by Lions on Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He never wears shorts. He's John Garcia. I've seen him in shorts. I'm Dan Bradley. True. I've never seen him in shorts. I, really? I, I, I own one pair of shorts. I call them my emergency shorts. They are only for yard work. I do not like wearing shorts. I've done it before and I will do it again. But I will absolutely, if I can get away with it, wear jeans when it's ninety-five degrees and humid outside. Oh, I've, I, I, absolutely, I wear, I wear full slacks, pants, jeans, etc., regardless of the temperature. Can't I just say I do that. I just have really skinny legs, and I don't like showing them off. I, I don't know. I just do it out of a, I don't know, a, a, a twisted sense of personal pride that is arbitrary, and non-existent. I don't know. Uh I guess, you know, everyone wore shorts for where I live down south, and so it was just it was part of the norm. Like, if you walked around wearing jeans all the time there, you'd be, you know, you'd be getting some looks. Ha- having worn jeans in Tampa in uh, October or November, I would I would totally get that. In October, November, that, that says a lot, actually. It does say a lot. I can't, people, can't believe people actually want to move there and live there, but apparently some people like that. Yeah, we do. Cruel, cruel humidity. How was your weekend? Uh, 
<laughs> Sorry. Um, it was pretty good. Uh, normal weekend stuff. Uh, How'd Spurs do? They they uh, they were bad. They were bad. But that's as, as I remind my fellow National Spurs, that's what we signed up for. But then and we went around the corner, went to DeSano's and got some pizza, which was good, better. which was way better. What's the, the place called again? It's no longer Dan McGinnis. It is... Harp and Fiddle. Harp and Fiddle. Harp it's and a, Fiddle. It is Harp and Fiddle. Right. I have a hard time not calling it Dan McGinnis. I, once you go in a few times, it gets a little bit easier. I, I think I refer to it as the Harp more than anything. Yeah. John, how was your weekend? It's not bad. I didn't do a whole lot, relaxed a whole lot. It was a very, very long week for me. I just kind of dragged out and dragged out. Um, so I watched a lot of hockey Caught up in a lot of uh, news and everything that I missed during the week. Because like, during the week, I don't have access to really anything because we're just so busy right now. Um, but after this, we've got the we got Star Wars coming up on Thursday. And then I go home for Christmas next week. And then the week after that, I'm in Rally for New Year's. So it's just nice. after this, i got something to look forward to each week. It's going to be really nice. I had the uh, company Christmas party last night. So. How's that? Well, I put out some pictures of myself at the casino table with two giant racks of chips. So I did pretty good. Um, was it like actual money? No, oh, no, no. They had it at uh, some place off Billcourt Avenue in uh, in Hillsborough Village. So it was just like one of those casino night things where they just bring in like a crew of people that just do this everywhere, mm. and no one deal, no two dealers dealt blackjack the same way. Probably didn't know what they were doing. Not really. <laughs> so that's, that's we got seven did. decks of cards here. We're gonna shuffle them all up, and then we're gonna just flip over them. <laughs> hey, you win, you get blackjack. So this I mean, did, did they set it up so that if like you could exchange chips like entries and like door prizes and stuff? Yeah, is that what they did. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what did you win? I didn't win anything. Really, I didn't win the drawing. That's not fair. No, um, it brought up a pretty. Uh, the reason why I got the name of Harp and Fiddle is because uh, we we faced a crisis at around ten ten at night. Um, a lot of the guys I work with are big into UFC. I personally am not into UFC as much as I used to be anymore. I really don't even hanging around like hanging around MMA guys anymore. Not a big fan of tap out t-shirt guy. So, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm along for the ride. You know, it's, it's, let's do this. Well, fine. We'll, we'll go somewhere else. We'll go get some more drinks and watch the UFC. Nowhere around there carries the UFC. Now I remember a few years ago when the UFC reached its apex a few years ago where you know, everybody was watching it. You had like several bars that were showing it because it was a big draw. I mean, you can, you can pack the bar full, full of fight fans and, it was it wasn't a big problem. Nowadays, no one's carrying the fights as much. Like we had to, our closest options were either either uh, Harp and Fiddle if they had it. We weren't even sure. Buffalo Wild Wings, no. Hooters, hell no. So, which this crisis was co- was quickly resolved because the fight lasted all of thirteen seconds. So the reason why I'm asking you guys bringing this up is that is of all the major sports out there, and I'm calling more than just the four major U.S. sports leagues. Let's talk about let's consider MLS. Uh, uh, European soccer, consider racing of all forms, UFC, boxing. What is the best and the worst television product, in your opinion? Because I'm I'm thinking that oh, as time has went on, the UFC's television product has gotten significantly worse because the fights are becoming. I remember when they a lot of these fights used to go the distance and they were fun and they. The UFC does a great job of at least making you care about what's going to happen. But what actually happens is not all that great. And you can watch the entire fight on your cell phone on a Vine video. So with that said, as far as like the just television products goes, I think that's part of the reason why people love the NFL. 
uh, is that even if you're not emotionally invested, the television product that you're going to get for about three hours is consistent and unless the game's an absolute blowout, there's something to pay attention to. Yeah, for the uh, you know 30 minutes where they're not broadcasting two and a half hours of commercials. Yeah, the, the commercials with CBS are just stupid. Um, but I've, I've really gotten into the Bundesliga over the last few years. The Premier League is a great television product. I, I, well, Bundesliga, are you thinking it, how it's broadcast in the U.S.? Because the U.S. product is not great with the with the coverage they ha- it has. No, it's not. Right now, It's the, the halftime shows are so-so, and... And this is me as like a Brad Friedel apologist, and he's America's grandpa soccer player. And still, it's just a little bit painful to watch. Not to mention, they're doing what uh, NBC did early on and then realized it wasn't a good idea, and that's picking two teams and only showing them ever on television and making them far, far ahead of everyone else and then completely cutting off your access to seeing any other team, which I think is a, is a poor way to manage your product. And shows in the really really terrible ratings that the Bundesliga got because they hid everything behind paywalls and you get to watch one game a week and it's usually the same teams beating up on yeah. really, really weak teams. Everything is a squash with Bayern Munich versus someone or Borussia Dortmund winning 3-1 to one over somebody. Yeah, it's just, it's just brutal matchups that, that it's not really compelling unless you are already a fan of those teams. No, but when Goal TV was doing Bundesliga or whatever it was called before, I don't think it was Goal TV when they had the BN Sports feed. That was great. I love watching that. Uh, there's a Scottish guy who does the, uh, the he's, Spanish he's, leagues. I don't remember his name, but he's absolutely insane. I love that guy. He's, he is little messy, like a ghost from the fog coming off the ring. He is he is the Jack Edwards of of soccer coverage, but he's not a, as offensive. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I was listening to a little bit of the uh, Florida Boston game yesterday afternoon, um, and I hadn't listened to Jack Edwards the Nesson feed in like years, just because. Well, I mean, you guys know it's it's obvious. Um, but so I was listening there. And I was like, you know, when he's not being a raging homer, Jack Ad- uh, Jack Edwards is actually a relatively good play-by-play guy. The problem is that he interjects all of that stuff in way too much. Yeah, it's like it was the faucet that you turn on. And yeah, I just remember being surprised yesterday. Then I switched over to the Florida feed and had a much better time. Oh, Goldstein, and and that's a that's a great feed. Mm-hmm. The Florida the Florida Panthers TV feed is like both of them though. The Florida and the Tampa feeds are golden. Oh, the radio feeds are great too. Yeah, it's, I mean the Florida trying to drive anywhere. If you think Nashville's bad, Tampa is terrible. Uh, trying to get up the Parkway to get to a Panthers game, not easy either. So putting money in Dallas, same way. But all three of those teams put a lot of money and effort into their television products. Same with uh, Arizona. You remember? You remember when the Predators had fantastic play-by-play and coverage? They still do on the radio. If, I'll give you sixty-five percent on that one. About sixty-five percent. I like Peterson a whole lot as a person, um, and I know that it's it's a play by, that a play-by-play and color commentary is a grind. I've done it in other sports, a far easier sports to broadcast than hockey. But sometimes, I mean, he's his insight is always great. It's just his delivery. And he just doesn't have a voice for it. I'm sure it works yeah. as a coach, but his voice, it's just it, one. It's hard to understand. I even have a little bit of trouble, under, a little bit of trouble understanding him sometimes. Um, and when Mason is on, Chris Mason's on. I think oh, it's Chris a, Mason's golden. Um, it's it's much better. Um, which is why I'm giving you 65. percent Yeah, well, he's not on enough. I was really surprised because I don't li- get to listen to the radio feed a whole lot just because I'm watching everything on TV. But I, like, I will mute the TV. Yeah, and put the radio on. S- but six o'clock games nowadays. I mean, I get off work at six, so I'm getting in my car and for the 15 to 30 minute drive home, however long it takes, I'm listening to 102.5. And I remember the first time I heard Mason, I was like, "Wow, 
This is a, this is his first time doing radio color commentary, and he's actually nailing it really well. It wasn't one of those like, oh, we'll wait and see how it goes or anything like that. He pretty much hit the ground running. He's been really good on the radio, I think. Just closing my eyes and having a bit of a vision quest and imagining Aaron Sims and Chris Mason calling a game. On TV. On TV. Mm. Could be pretty great. It would be fantastic. So, uh, As far as other, other sports, uh, is there a sport that you watch just because the television product is good consistently? Uh, I'll admit, I really only watch the sports I like because I like the sports. Um, I don't care how good the product the NFL may put on TV is. I don't have any interest. Yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of baseball, but I pretty much only watch it when the Nats are playing. I can't really tell you what other teams are doing or ESPN's broadcast or things like that. So. I'll totally flip over and watch the Orioles play to listen to Gary Thorne. Oh, Gary Thorne. Gary Thorne. So the Nats color commentator or the, the tandem that they have is meh at best. But when the Orioles and the Nationals play each other, since it's the same uh, network, they mix everyone together. So I get to see sometimes Gary Thorne call some Nationals games. It's yeah. fantastic. I will say that I, I will everyone else will just leave the TV on like on a baseball game. Not to watch, just because I like to sit there and think about how great it would be to have their job. You just you just chat with a buddy for just hours. And that's your job. You just have to know stuff and have fun anecdotes, and that's it. And have a good memory about going back ways of ways. But well, so that's you, pretty much it. Yeah. Those anecdotes have to build up, you know, and you do your prep work and you just chat. That's what Vince Kelly does. And it's he's, amazing. But he does it by himself, and it's yeah. still enthralling. And he's at least like culturally relevant in the sense that he's into social media. He's pretty smart about a lot of that kind of stuff. Whenever the uh, the Kings brought the Stanley Cup into the broadcast booth, super cool moment. Mm-hmm. He's talking about like growing up in Brooklyn and you know, and when the Rangers won it way back when. You don't have to talk about baseball. You can talk just about whatever. And then he'll make great. The O two slider, uh, just a little bit outside, ball one, and then goes back into his story. It's and seamless. Yeah, it's seamless. With all that said, let's get into some hockey. Predators start off the week in Monday in Boston. Uh, come away with a 3-2 win in spite of Carter Hutton playing, which, uh, to be fair, Carter Hutton had a pretty decent game. He had a, I thought he had a really good game considering was, Yeah, I mean, he was, he, he, was, he, is. he was fine. and and He's getting into a bit of a rhythm, but he's actually playing more. It's the same thing that we've been preaching for quite a while. Like, if you actually play Carter Hutton, he might actually do something. I, I think we've seen a few stretches of him doing that when Peck has been injured, and... I think I I do have more confidence in when he has more games, but it, I still don't think it's an enough of an improvement to justify his employment. Uh, but no, I, I he did have he did look solid. He he looked uh, he looked calm. Uh, he wasn't really challenged too much in that game. Uh, the defense in front of him really did a good job limiting shots. Uh, so you, it kind of creates a false thing because, you know, it's going to have like, what, two goals against and he's going to have a kind of a mediocre save percentage because Bruins didn't have a ton of shots. But that's I think that goes a long way for the, how many how well the Predators limited the shots in that game. They really rallied around him. To, to your point, the uh, shot attempts at even strength, 47 to 28. And this is against a Boston Bruins team that is usually a possession monster. Yeah, and I'm looking at it right now. Only 17 of those actually got on net. Um, so again, he didn't have a whole big of a workload, but it's something yeah. that, uh, I know that I've harped on for probably a season and a half now is like, you don't need him to be an all-star goaltender. You need him to go in and stop what he sees, whether that's 17 shots a night or 35 shots a night. Just not get pulled. Yeah. Yeah. And it, or not give up embarrassing yeah. goals. And I mean, the goal that the Bruins did pick up was just really, like, really right at the top, of, or at least the even strength one they picked up was right at the top of the paint. Um, so it was and one of those really, really dangerous. Too. Yeah, it was a, it was 
a complete kind of cluster event. Um, and then, of course, the other one was a was a power play goal. Yeah, so. it's where they left literally left Louis Erickson right on top of the crease yeah. with no one around him for miles. Which is classic Predator power, PK. Yeah, classic Predator PK. Best P- PK or best power play in the league. Yeah, we don't need to defend Louis Erickson. Pshaw. Uh, three players I want to take away from this, uh, aside from Hutton. Uh, this was the debut of Kelly Yarncroke as the number one center for the Predators. Uh, matched up against Bergeron and Krejci. It looked pretty good. I mean, that's a pretty tough uh, team to make your debut against, but... Yeah, I mean, even as, as far as just, just the give-and-take play, he even, you know, basically was was fairly neutral in terms of, of Chara as well, so he wasn't even pushed around by a guy like Zidane Chara, which isn't really impressive. And b- beyond that, if you can handle Chara and be six, and find some success against him, you're going to do well against anybody in the Bruins team. Um, one thing it also did is it opened up the second line, which is now the Ribeiro line with uh, Craig Smith and Victor Arvidsson, played some more protected minutes. Uh, they were able to be uh, deployed more exclusively in the offensive zone. Arvidsson looks really good in this role that he's in, where he's kind of more of a breakout player that they're just trying to find a uh, pass to exit the zone with him, and he just skates it up ice. He made Kevin Miller just look silly, and he had like three chances to score. He got one of them. Uh, Arvidsson, he's at home at this role, is he not? He looks like it. I mean... Earlier in the season, he kind of was like, he had those flashes of where he looked really good and then kind of disappeared for a little bit, went back down to the AHL. Um, now I think that we may have found, uh, at least seeing him skate with that like perfect combo that he's looking at, where everyone on that line has a job to do. Like, Ribeiro slows the game down. He looks for the plays. Um Smith is one of the guys that's been just going to shoot the puck all the time. Then Arvidsson's there to just get in the way and cause havoc. And so far, he's been doing a really good job of doing that. Yeah, you end up with, with just a a setup where Ribeiro can just distribute the puck in any direction. He can send it to the point to the defenseman who can shoot, no matter who's out there behind them. He can send it to two forwards. He can hold on to as long as he needs to be. There's a lot of options, which is what Ribeiro needs. He needs a lot of choices so he can make the right play, hopefully, um, and have someone finish. And Honestly, I mean, people get down on the Predators, but they don't really have a shortage of guys who can put the puck on net. Uh, a lot of people will argue to the opposite. Maybe they're not as good at scoring at, at the finish, but they can get the puck on net, which is going to be big. I think that's the big thing. Is like They've got guys that can get shots on, but maybe not necessarily as you know, as uh, big of a finesse guy as like you might think of Neil or Forsberg or something like that. Like Smith is going to going to get a lot of shots on net. Uh, Wilson, when he wants to, can get a lot of shots on net, but it's just that finish that we're looking for that has not really been there a whole lot this year. I think last week I ran a stat that said the Predators were shooting like 3% for the month of November. Oof. Like oh, three, November three was change. brutal for yeah. the team. So some of that I think is a bit unsustainable as far as uh, the... Oh, yeah. Far as far as the finish, melody. I mean, I think if you're just throwing shots in that, I mean, you're the um. As far as the location of the shots, a lot better over this past week. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into this a little bit more as we go on, but they're actually getting to the net, and uh, we can't go over the Boston game without talking about Roman Yossi, who flat out took over the game. He well, he's been flat out taking over the Preds for the last couple of weeks. He's been absolutely the best player that they've had. Yeah, I, I would even argue he's been. He's been the best player for the Predators for a couple of years. Like last year, this year, I think he's easily. Not, I think he's the most important defenseman. I think he's one of the best players. They followed it up uh, the next night. They go to Chicago, uh, lose four to one. Uh, Blackhawks got an empty net there to kind of pad the stats, and of course, the empty netter had to be done by Patrick Kane. 
Um, shot attempts, 49 to 47. The actual shots on net, though, were a 29 to 18 in favor of Nashville. Does that just, if I'm looking at just as a, if I didn't watch the game and if I'm looking at that, does that just say the Blackers were just trying to pick a corner on Rene and shoot everything high? Because that's where they that's where they got a couple of their goals. Yeah, well, I think it's a mix of that and the fact that the Blackhawks just aren't as good of a possession team as they have been in the past. You know, they lost a lot of pieces this year, and they've been kind of in that you know gooey, soft middle of this of the Central this year. Um, but I think they knew. And the scouting report on Rene was that he is not making the saves that he needs to make right now. So anything that they got anywhere, um, I think that they may have uh, been looking for the right shots to take for him. I also kind of wonder if the Predators might have been a little too obsessed or focused on just shutting down Kane. Uh you, you got your one of your big rival teams. You're going into their home arena. You've got a guy on a on a historical kind of point streak where he's he's trying to establish you know a record or a name, further name for himself and kind of cement that status. And you want to shut him down. You want to stop that. You want to make a point. And I mean, they really spent a lot of time shutting down Kane, making sure he wasn't getting opportunities. He wasn't getting good shots. And you know, maybe, maybe that that creeps in a little bit. You know, you're so focused in one area, you, you let others drop. It's probably, eh, probably not a huge factor, but I feel like there was a lot of focus on that. I think there's some truth to that. I mean, if they had a chance to win it, it was 2-1 to one going into the third, and Tara Vinen's goal just, yeah. Yeah, that's one of those bad. ones where you can't, like, it's, like, really good shot, but, I mean, look at, I mean, he's pretty much in the face-off circle um, on the right wing when he shoots that. I mean, that's one that you really want Pecorine to save. Uh, Prender's got 10 shots on goal registered from inside a uh, home plate, the high danger area. It's a stark contrast from last week. Sometimes you just, I mean, that's one of those get, I mean, if you, when you see that, you know that Crawford was busy. Um, not terribly upset about that game. Just second half of back-to-back, Blackhawks are kind of finding their groove a little bit. Yeah, and that's really what it was not what it comes down to is, is that could that, that game could have gone a lot of ways. It just happened to go against Nashville. They were getting so many great opportunities. They, they, you're right. They turned around what we were talking about last week. About and it might even been a little bit of the week before that. We were talking about where they're taking their shots versus where they're they're scoring goals and how that was the opposite of where it needed to be. And they've switched and they've found a lot more success. But that night, it just wasn't clicking. Yeah. Um, any other takeaways from the four to one game against Chicago? Um, I would just like to point out how the Nystrom goal was like the most. Nystrom goal ever scored. You talking about the four to one game or the five to one game? The four to one game. The one on Tuesday. The one on Tuesday. Yeah, that's the one that we're talking about yeah. right now. Okay. Because um, I would have thought the that the the empty netter that Nystrom scored was the quintessential Nystrom well, goal. This is this is the reason why I say that is because Roman Yossi makes this beautiful carry in uh, into the hawk zone and like dangles around people and then shovels the puck over to Nystrom and Nystrom doesn't even get it on his stick. He accidentally redirects it in with his feet and then tries to make another swipe at it as it's going in the net and totally misses and it's a goal so yeah he, he, Romeosi banked a goal off of Nystrom yeah. and Nystrom gets credit because the NHL rules say so yeah. <laughs> well I love that we're getting we got a lot of comments like hey well Eric Nystrom's you know invaluable at this point I'm like, no 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 he's not no, he's not invaluable yeah, anytime somebody says that Eric Nystrom's invaluable or anything I like look at guys like David Clarkson even like Brian Bickles of the world, all those guys. Um, oh, who's the guy who had the great run in, in Anaheim? Boleski. Boleski. You know, you look at any of these guys who 
had one season where they just scored an absurd number of goals and they get paid huge contracts and then they're considered just toxic contracts. A guy like Nystrom, if he were, I don't know, eight years younger, would probably be that same position because even, you know, he, he would have one good season and be like, you can't get rid of him and they'd re-sign him to, you know, four or five million dollars and and he'd be like, well, that was a disaster. So, I mean, that's where you go back to hockey fans are dumb. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's my hashtag hockey fans are dumb. No, that's where it goes. Prayers were able to give up the Blackhawks a receipt and uh, got them five to one on Thursday. Um, first period of that game, best period of the year. I think this game was probably one of the best games of the year. Yeah. But that, that like, you knew that they were going to come out angry during that period, but I just don't think that anyone was prepared to see that because what it was how long did it take for the Chicago Blackhawks to get a shot attempt was it like seven minutes into the game it was a long time into the game I knew they were going to come out angry but I didn't expect them to come out angry and effective right (laughs) (laughs) expect them just to go out and just be angry hitting a lot and maybe get a fluky goal but they just kept pressuring and pressuring and pressuring uh power play looked good there's nothing really to complain about I mean Chicago was playing Scott Darling that does bear to mention because Chicago had a uh, back-to-back, and Nashville still gets the back of goaltenders. That's just the fact of life at this point. Um, I don't think it was their best game of the year because they had to uh, batten down the hatches for the rest of the game for the most part. Yeah, that's right. It was nothing but the Blackhawks trying to catch up and make up lost ground yeah. from from you know, that first period. I mean, And just because I, I have it in front of me, it was, I think, five minutes in before they got their first shot attempt. That's pretty good. Um, and that's just shot attempt. That's not necessarily even scoring chance. Um, I think it was like closer to six or seven minutes where they got their first scoring chance, so not like hugely different. But play of the game for me, James Neal stealing the puck from Kane and scoring the fourth goal. That was, I mean, that, that we, I harp that James Neal is what better is a better two way four than he gets credit for. He is actually a very good four checker, um, sees the game very well, and not not exactly has the one track mind of a lot of players out there. But that was just very satisfying, especially after the uh, Kane goal. Which get your opinion on that. So Kruger skates in um, after the shot is, is kind of against Rene's pad. It's visible, but do either of you have a problem with that being called a goal? Because Kruger did technically knock over Rene. My problem with that goal is that I have seen so many goals earlier in the season be waved off for goaltender interference for way less. Like, I, th- I think I get it. Because like what what I thought the league was seeing was that the puck was already gonna slide across the goal line when uh, Pecorino was getting run into. I still don't buy that though because I'm pretty sure that it was he was getting run into before the shot was getting off, so he had no way yeah. to make the save it, at all. What I saw was that Pekka had the puck loosely trapped, not secure, where they were gonna blow the whistle, mm-hmm. and. You know what you what you would expect the player to do the the offensive player to do at that point is to to take a couple stabs at the puck with their stick. What actually happened is that uh, it was I'm sorry what, who was it? Kruger. 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 What's a Kruger? <laughs> uh, so let me put both my headphones on. Okay. Uh, so so what I see is is Kruger go in a lot with a lot more speed than he needs and. Basically, knock, goes into Rene, destabilizes Rene. So now Rene cannot, he has no hope of securing that puck anymore because he's now off balance and going backwards. Mm-hmm. And then Kane just skates in and knocks the puck, knocks in. The puck in. So uh, the puck wasn't moving until Kruger initiates contact, which not only, you know, doesn't really free the puck up, but it makes Pekka unable to recover and be able to make a save. 
that's the sequence that I saw. Yeah, and it just it again with I've seen goals get waved off from a skater being at the top of the crease where the goaltender's glove brushes the guy on the back of the of the jersey and all of a sudden that's goaltender interference. And then when you have a guy run into the goaltender at speed, that's somehow not interference. Yeah, I, I think it was a a bad call. There's there's probably plenty of people who you know shouting conspiracy theory. They got to keep the Kane point streak going. Was, I just think it was a bad call. Wasn't it Tim Peel on the on the ice for that? Oh, was that a Tim Peel game? Let me look. I don't know. No, Tim. The Tim Peel game one was was where um, James Neal got a, penal, oh, a penalty yeah, for no, you're uh, right. for, for, um, get, for getting hit in the face with a stick. Yeah, that's right. It was uh, whining about it. Yeah. Gord uh, Gord Dwyer and Rob Martell. But yeah, I I. If you would have asked me, I would have overturned that for goaltender interference. But hey, it didn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Grand scheme of things, it didn't matter. No, uh, penalty kill was perfect. And then nine that they had for once. Good, good for the penalty kill. Hey, bl- blind squirrel is gonna find a nut every once in a while, right? Yeah, pretty much. Wow, we are, we are so pessimistic about this penalty kill. It's it's well, the crowd sad. was too like the, like the it wasn't quite a Bronx cheer like whenever <laughs> the whenever the penalty kill was successful. But you could feel like the entire building was like, all right, guys, you you, you finally got one. That was cute. <laughs> they follow yeah. it up Saturday uh, with a three to two loss on Saturday night. Uh, the what's the record for the Yellow Helmet? Uh, I believe it's two and like six, two and five. It's not good. No, it's not because they've won. They won the first one against Edmonton, and then I believe they won that uh, seven to nothing one yeah. against Winnipeg, which I totally forgot about. But they lost against the Blues. They lost against Colorado. They lost against Pittsburgh. That was the overtime game. Uh, Whatever Sunday or Saturday game they've had, they've lost against. So I think we should. At, at scientifically, it proves those gold helmets are cursed. Yeah, I mean, we can't can't deny the results. As you would expect, they do have a shot attempts advantage over the Avalanche, forty-three to twenty-eight. Shots on goal though were actually twenty-three to twenty. So the Avalanche blocked. It was the, even strength, right? That was. Yeah. That, this was a stupid game. This was a stupid game. I. It, you don't expect some of the guys who scored for the Colorado. You don't expect to score very often. Um, Varlamov is a fine goalkeeper. He does his job well, but he's not. He can't be the savior that he was a couple years ago. He can't put up those numbers, and the defense from him is not good. How the Predators managed to even get to a point where they were not just obliterating the Avalanche blows my mind. I don't know how they let themselves get. Uh, so few chances, relatively speaking, to, to what they've been doing, and and give up so many chances in return against a team that they shouldn't. I, but really, what it was is, I, you know, looking looking to see how lines were performing, settled lines is that top line, that McKinnon line, was just destroying the Predators. They just could not handle that line. Yeah, Matt Duchesne was all over the place yesterday. I mean, like literally every play that they had going, I I swear it was Matt Duchesne making it. Yeah, he's he's got a fire lit underneath him since the uh, the manufactured trade rumors came out. Mm-hmm. Which um, I mean, he does like playing in Nashville a whole lot. He's even put that out on Twitter several times. If only, if only, if he only could just just, just kind of tying everything together here. If, yeah. o- if only, if only Saki didn't actually have to approve that. Yeah, I mean, this is the same team that had a press conference that pretty much said we're not paying anybody more than Matt Duchesne. Great. It's always a good. That's always a good burden to put on one of your players. <laughs> well, that was that was uh, right before the Ryan O'Reilly uh, deal, and it was also before the uh, the Stastny deal. So, um, so looking back across the week, uh, we're gonna go and get some questions in from you people before we get to break. Let me pull it up here. 
I got to say, uh, Facebook brought it strong this week. So I'm going to lead off with the Facebook questions. Do, do we need to have like a, like a weekly award, like fake award that goes out to whoever social media site offers the best questions? What if someone asks either the same question on both platforms or a different question on both platforms? Does that disqualify them? We have to look at them. No, we have to look, we just look independently. Hmm. So I put it out there. Uh, the questions on Twitter were, were pretty, like I got asked about John Cena. I got asked about how to become a general manager. Uh, play legal, play legal, a lot of football manager. Legal uh, euthana- or euthanasia. Um, what? Yeah, to stop the to make sure everything stops the bleeding. Uh, yeah. Okay. Facebook though. Listen, wow. Listen, Twitter was a nightmare. Listen to this yeah. in-depth Facebook question from uh, Casey. It seems like teams are scoring three or more goals against us regularly this season. If we have the best blue line in the league, in quotes. This year, why are we surrendering this many goals? Is it the defense? Is it Pekka? Can I take this one? Oh, I yeah. thought it was your fault. I'm like, yeah, John, it's your fault. Oh, yeah, sorry. Stop, I, stop giving so many goals. I put a hex on them, and that's just what I'm doing. I'm trying to play the game, too. I've got the <laughs> difficulty turned up to all-star. Um, no, I mean, simply put, it's Pekka. If you, and this goes into uh, the article that I wrote earlier this week. The defense, as far as even strength goes, is... Uh, allowing the fewest shot attempts in the league. They're also allowing the second fewest um, high danger scoring chances and the fewest scoring chances against. Um, The defense is doing everything that they can possibly do to limit shots um, and make Pekka's job a little bit easier. But Pekka just isn't making the saves. Uh, Again, if you take his adjusted save percentage, which uh, does not reward goaltenders for stopping uh, shots at the blue line that they're going to take, and it doesn't reward uh, goaltenders whose teams give up really high danger scoring chances all the time over and over and over again. Um, If you look at that, he is... 18th out of 21 of goaltenders that have played at least 800 minutes. His high danger scoring chances, save percentage is bad. His uh, medium is okay. And his high is also not that great. Or I'm sorry, his low is not that great either. So everything that he's looking at right now is not doing well. And I don't know if that's because he's tired, if he's fighting an injury, uh, if he's just not seeing his game, or if he's getting older. I don't know what it is, but looking at this team and then looking at him, he is allowing more shots than he should be, and he's not on top of his game right now. And to even if, if I want to throw a really overly complicated, sad piece of dirt on top of that statement, uh, some of the expected adjusted save percentage, like his expected uh, save percentage, is actually projected to be worse than Carter Hutton's through the course of the season right now. I ran a report on, I believe, Thursday at uh, quantifying the unadjusted save percentage versus adjusted it is uh, colored by shots faced per 60 minutes sized by time on ice you literally see every goaltender that's played more than four or five games like all starting from ben bishop james reimer john gibson sergey bobrovsky tuka rask blah blah blah, 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 blah all the way down to martin jones so just like the lower tier martin jones jake allen linus olmark cam ward red obera michael hutchinson pecorine this is during the. This is since the middle of November. Pecorine has been among the worst goaltenders in the NHL, and, and that's the thing about that. And a chart like that is that the defense has a part to that. But you look at the guys who are at the bottom. There's a combination of just awful goaltenders uh, and guys who actually play behind decent defensive cores who are awful goaltenders. Because mm-hmm. uh, f- frankly, I don't. I'm not that sour on the uh, the Winnipeg 
defensive core, I think they're pretty, they're decent. They're they're not like bottom half of the league. They love their own defensive core. Winnipeg fans, I got asked uh, on the Jets podcast if I would trade a looking back Philip Forsberg for Jacob Truba. Who would do that? I know. I, I handled it like a pro, though. <laughs> I, I I like their defensive core. I think it's a fine defensive core, but you see the goal. You but so that tells you a lot that the goaltenders behind them are just not good. I mean, their top four is pretty solid with Bufflin, Anstrom, uh, Truba, and Tyler Myers. That's yeah, a that's pretty, a very, very good top four. Blackhawks would kill for that, outside of Duncan Keith. So, uh, but yeah, I, so to basically to wrap up that question is the defense is doing everything it needs to right now. Um, Pekka is just not making the saves that he's made in the past. Uh, the, the only exception that I would throw in there is I, I'm not. I, I think we have to have a caveat for the power play, even that's a different thing. Oh yeah, Every, the, everything the, everything yeah. that I was looking at was five on five. Yeah, because, I assume so, but I think we we definitely can blame the the defensive zone play uh, on more than just Pekka when it comes to the. Uh, oh, and I'm not problems, saying that. PK problems. Yeah, and I'm not saying that everything is Pekka's fault. I'm just saying in the context of that question. Um, it's Pekka's fault. No, I'm joking. Um, no, there's there's a few things wrong with this team, but I think that's one of the big ones that is not getting discussed as often right now is Pekka Rene is just not playing up to his game. I, 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 looking back, I can't remember this far, but I wouldn't be surprised if when they signed into that very long, very expensive contract, if I didn't say something <laughs> sort of like you that. You did. Andy Wilson writes in, big friend of the show, by the way. Um, what does it take to convince David Poyle that the key assets missing on this club are going to be needed in respective of the Predators position going into the postseason that this club will need a once needed one C top line center even beyond what might be tangible on the rental market as in essentially what's it going to take David Poyle to listen to the podcast and listen to us for what we've, we've been saying for the last four years again I I mean this is this question can go in so many different directions so it's a really actually a really great question uh, I mean as far as a top center that's that's a summer thing. That is a we have to do something. We have to put together a really big, exciting like this is going to be a talked about type trade. You know, lead lead NHL. It's going to be in the TSN. It's going to be in everything. That sort of trade. And you know, you have they have to depending on how the rest of the season goes, they're going to have to seriously ask the question about what the future of the Predators goaltending is. Uh, you know, if, if Pekka is on a decline, like I don't think he's going to keep these bad numbers through the course of the season. It just isn't, he, there's no precedent for that. For no, me. I, I would agree with that. But at the same time, he's not Heinrich Lundqvist. He's not Mika Kiprasov. He's not Dominic Hasek. You need to, he's not Roberto Luongo. I mean, like you, there's a big list of guys who he isn't. Uh, and I mean that in a very metaphysical way. Obviously, literally, he isn't those people. That'd be <laughs> weird. Uh, but they need to start really seriously thinking about who the next guy is. Uh, maybe the indication right now is that it's Soros since he's the only guy who got called up to actually and and allowed to play. Uh, But I think that's a serious question, and they're going to have to address it in how they handle the backup goaltender situation over the summer. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, and also kind of building off that, and that this doesn't really answer this question right here, but kind of building off that, I mean, you could have a situation next year where you've got Pecorino playing starter, UC Saros backing up, and then you get a Peter Mrazek, Jimmy Howard situation where Howard's the one getting all the money, but Mrazek's the one getting the important starts. Grant, I don't think that's going to happen right out of the gate, but, I mean, eventually it could. Well, I think where the NHL's slowly going into more of a two-goalie system. Mm-hmm. I mean, what Ken, what Ken Hitchcock has done for the last few years in St. Louis is pretty cool. When he doesn't have his goaltender standing above him in his sleep with a knife. Well, yeah. and that's the thing. that You have to breathe that into your system so i kind of think that you have that the guys who you see as being those future dueling goaltenders 
are trained to handle that kind of uh, emotionally and mentally while they're in the minors so that when they come in, they're already ready for that. Because you look at any of these guys, they're usually the guy wherever they're coming from, from Europe or wherever, and now you're asking them to essentially, you know, sit out half the games because that's the way you're going to run the show. How, you know, when you start trying to look to sign RFAs and maybe sign a UFA goaltender who's important to your team, do you at that point say, we can find another 3 to $5 million goaltender in the market, so long, see ya? Uh, or does that turn into a serious problem? Because it's, it's, it's interesting because it's a brand new way of managing goaltenders. And it's unprecedented. And I love new ways of doing things in the NHL because it doesn't happen nearly often enough. Right. I just don't know if it truly works because it's the St. Louis Blues doing it and Ken Hitchcock doing it. Well, I mean, Dallas has to be doing something right because Dallas essentially is copying the same move except throwing a lot more money at the problem. Well, I I think we but we knew that going into it. They they said, well, we don't know if um, Letton is going to be able to stay healthy, so we're going to bring in Niemi and knowing that they were going to get banged up and they were going to go hot and cold. And I think that's a disservice because, you know, Lettinen's the better goaltender if he's healthy and the Emmy is, is a consistent, reliable goaltender. So they kind of, they, they knew that going in, it was going to be a bit of a mess and, and also, no one's really won the job. Yeah. Well, and also with the stars, they could have a brick in front of the, like literally just like a single brick on the goal line and could probably outscore the opposition. Most that nice, is true. Yes. Most nice. Um, Sorry, but going back to Andy's question real fast, uh, real quick, I think that one of the things that Poyo has to look at, which I'm sure that he knows what's missing from this team because we can see it. He's been running hockey teams for longer than any of us have been alive, most likely. Um, pretty close, I think. I'll um, go with it. Yeah, anyway, uh, it's a compliment, guys. You're young. Um, I'm young, too. Anyway, um, he needs to figure out if... Trading assets this year and addressing the problems right now that we all can see um, that the Predators are missing is worth giving up possibly something in the future for doing that. Because if you trade something now, maybe you thin the cabinet a little bit and you don't have what you're looking for in the summer. Um and I mean, it's it's tough, and that's why I'm glad I'm not a GM because it's like, yes, something needs to happen now, but do you pull the ripcord and make a panic move, and then shoot yourself in the foot for a longer move down the road? Well, I, I think we you could almost argue, and I think we we're talking about this in the back half of the show, is that maybe they don't need to pull the trigger on something like that during the season, and mm-hmm. they can wait to the off season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, possibly with that. Um, you know what? I'm looking through the Twitter questions. There's only like one or two that were, that were pretty good. Um, let's, Matt Scully uh, on the power at on the power play uh, listener of the show has been pretty good loyal. guy. I like Matt. Mike Fisher's return will surely help the penalty kill. What other tweaks can be done to improve the uh, not so special teams play? You know, this is a bit of a mystery because I can't imagine that anything we're seeing are not things that guys like Phil Housley are seeing or guys like. Uh, Phil Housley does the power play. Yeah, uh, McCarthy. McCarthy, yeah. thank you. Yeah, McCarthy is seeing. Uh, it's just I don't. I, I think it might be a, a matter of communication, the ice a little bit. It might be a, a guy who's really leading the PK, like Mike Fisher, who's going to be issuing maybe some orders on the ice and being very vocal. Because uh, you just see a distinct lack of organization uh, in that you know you're watching eight year olds play soccer and sort of thing where everyone's chasing after the ball maybe eight's too old no that's um but that's like the thing that drives me nuts is because 
no matter the puck's moving and like the team on the power play is moving the puck around and everyone is gravitating towards the puck they're not staying in one position to like and letting the shots come to them or even attacking the puck carrier they're following the puck and it's opening up lanes for people to shoot at yeah and i, I it's it's almost like and i just this just occurred to me my favorite penalty kill in the entire league is the chicago blackhawks pk it is a joy to watch and i think the Predators want to copy that, but they lack a certain positional discipline because you need to be aggressive. You need to attack the puck constantly. You do not let up pressure on the puck. Whoever is, has the puck, you should already be on him by the time the puck arrives. So he either turns it over or has to move it. And the Predators seem to want to do that, but they don't seem to know what to do when someone else comes out of position. So no one is is rotating to cover the, the, the spot. They're rotating and they're not committing all the way. And so I think that that might be a part of the issue is that they're trying to do a high press, very aggressive PK, but they don't have the positional discipline. I could totally see that. That makes sense. Yeah. Hockey analysis. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk a bit about the uh, some of the lineup changes that we've seen. Uh, we're going to talk a bit more about a stat that uh, may be a better indicator of how good your team is or how good they at least should be. And also five tough questions, which I personally loaded well pretty well you listen to the podcast brought to you by on the and lion's own internet marketing solutions these days you need a partner current and latest website design standards one that also provides quality support services like hosting email e-commerce cms and more and you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing like social media search engine marketing rich media and email marketing you need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising you need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. LionZone. Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. All right, welcome back in. I did see... uh Going through here, the latest overall odds for the team to finish last in the league. Uh, most likely, our good friends, the Buffalo Sabres, followed by that, the Edmonton Oilers. How do you feel about that in the sense that I, I believe that if a team wins the lottery, they automatically cannot pick number one overall the next year? Is That that, that sounds reasonable, right? That's, that's the rule? or that's, That should be the rule. Oh, I agree. That should be the rule. I mean, anything that prevents more talent from getting thrown into the wood chipper that is Edmonton. I mean, I'm all for that. Uh, Philadelphia is actually the third uh, most likely to pick uh, last overall, followed by Arizona, Calgary, and then a significant drop-off to Colorado, Florida, and Vancouver. With as bright as the Flyers' future is right now, being able to pick first overall this year would be just a beautiful thing for them because it needs to round out their forward core. Yeah. Um. Arizona, I think, would be it's kind of who I'm hoping for just because Austin Matthews. Well, of course. Going to... Scottsdale kid going there. Get to play downtown with the Suns oh, eventually. I, I, can't, I can't do the narrative. I can't do more hockey narrative. It kills me. That's, that's a pretty it strong. It absolutely one. kills me. 
I get so tired of hockey narrative. That's some, that's some hardcore narrative. I mean, that's like that's like I know, Seth Jones makes the, the Avalanche kind of. It makes it worse. It makes it so much worse. I I would have preferred McDavid or Eichel going to Arizona. Oh, that would have been great. Freaking freaking. I would have loved McDavid to go there because it would have forced the Canadian media to cover Arizona. Which, speaking of a little bit of news on that front, the uh, old decrepit uh, Arizona Coliseum, which is, if you're an old school basketball fan, this is where the Phoenix Suns played for their first uh, the first several seasons before moving downtown into America West Arena, where it's now known as Talking Stick Resort Arena, because Arizona. Um, it's essentially where their old like state fairgrounds is. So if you're looking for like a local, uh, it's like the take like the municipal auditorium and put it at, at the fairgrounds. That's essentially what the Arizona Coliseum is. But uh, the Coyotes are kicking the tires and possibly playing a season or two there. I saw that. That's not a terrible idea. Not if it gets them out of Glendale and it's a temporary thing for them to either move back downtown with the Suns um, or while a new arena is getting built or, uh, you know, uh, restructured or revamped, whatever it is. But, I mean, I think for a temporary fix... Uh, I mean, it seats, what, like 12,000 people or something like that. I don't think that they're really going to have a problem if it's a actually, smaller venue. Close to 14, actually. Oh, really? That's yeah. actually kind of perfect for for them. I mean, no mm-hmm. insult men's, but that's kind of perfect for... Yeah. I mean, it's going to fill... They're gonna, they'll fill that place up on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, they should. I mean, it's, it's right in the middle of downtown. It's not right in the middle of downtown, but it's, it's accessible. It's easier to get to than uh, Gila River Arena, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, can you that. fit a mid-sized car or a small SUV in one of the corners of the room. No, because it's actually uh, made where it actually will do hockey. Oh, well, that's naturally. good. It's a natural that's hockey That's thoughtful. Arena. How awesome would that be to have the Coyotes playing in an arena, old decrepit arena almost, that's more better suited for hockey than the freaking Barclays Center? Which has, like, the Oculus, which is, like, that... It was one of the first places to have, like, like, a, like, a, like fiber optic Wi-Fi outdoors. Like the Barclays Center is was designed to be like just the coolest thing ever in 2010, and <laughs> the uh, I mean, this is a true QR story. codes everywhere. Yeah, the the Barclays Center was really? it was designed. Um, I'm I'm guessing um, it was designed with uh, with Brooklyn in mind, but the but the construction kept getting pushed back and back and back, and they had all these revisions to it. They could have made it suitable for hockey. If you look at the uh, the back end of the building, like they actually could have restructure the seating plan to make it accessible for hockey. They just chose not to. Now, I've also heard that instead of steel beams, they use cronuts to build the, the stadium. Is that true? I can't confirm or deny that. I do know that they, uh, I do know that they use the same type of technology. And this is per uh, the guys from the long, from uh, uh, lighthouse uh, on SP nation. They use the same type of technology that was used on the Omni arena in Atlanta, which is best known for rusting all the way through. It's supposed to rust to steel itself. That way, so it kind of it provides a better, more better protection from the weather, more longevity. The problem is it never stops rusting. Oh. So it's, it's called a Corten, I believe, and it was and at the last days of the Omni, it was so bad that they had like chain link fence over certain areas of the arena to keep people from crawling in events because they had holes that big. So, Jeez. yeah, Barclays Center. Well, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, the Barclays Center was built along the same logic as some of the. You know, mall brands like H and M or Zara. It lasts for a couple seasons, and then you have to replace it with something new. It's just built that way. Yeah, and of course in New York, which just you know, like they have all the land in the world to do whatever they want to do. Oh yeah, tons of space all throughout Manhattan, Queens, and everything. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to um, we talked a little bit earlier about Cali Yarncroke and uh, just his week his week on the top line. 
He matched up against Jonathan Tays, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, Matt Duchesne, who were four of the best centers in the league. I think we can all, even Krejci, I think, is in that category. He's pretty good. I mean, he's a very he's good, good, you know, big defenseman that passes very well. Matt Duchesne is Matt Duchesne, and we all know who Jonathan Tays and Patrice Bergeron are. He finished the week with a positive possession number. He was only a minus one as far as goals are concerned, which we've talked a bit about goaltending and such, which the minus figure is just more arbitrary. If nothing else, this allowed the Mike Ribeiro line to play minutes better suited to their own talent. I mean, it's going to be a little bit different when Mike Fisher and Colin Wilson get back into the lineup because then you have more of a true defensive line that they like to run out there. I'm not saying it's accurate. I'm saying that that's the way they're going to be deployed. Why you got to hurt me like this, Dan? I'm saying that's just going to be the way they're going to be deployed. So what's your early impressions from the Cali Yarncroak experiment? Uh, He he has a a little bit of a... Bergeron light feel he's not he hasn't quite put up the points that Bergeron can and and he doesn't quite generate the same you know uh, amount of offense but you see a lot of potential there for him to do some cool things and uh, especially with wingers who are actually active and involved in playing the game and lo and behold if you take a guy who's who spent his career playing center and a really good and was always very successful in center and you move him back to his position and you give him some talented wingers to play with Amazing that he's actually performing. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and I was almost going to say it's kind of like the opposite of what happened with Colin Wilson when he got thrown up there, but I don't think that Wilson even had the talent like Forsberg and Neal to to go along with that. Um, But, I I, I mean, I think we're seeing some good things to where I don't know if we expect Callie Yarncroke to be putting up, you know, like 50 points. Uh, in a season or anything like that. Yeah, we, we can dream. I think earlier this year we said that if he puts up 30, we'll be, yeah. it'll be like, that'll be, a, you know, a good overachievement for him. Uh, but now we're seeing him kind of get very comfortable with what he's doing. He's been uh, used on the power play, and it's been working a lot. Um, he looks like he's more at home skating out with Philip Forsberg and James Neal um, than maybe he was before, like on the wing, sk- skating with Hodgson centering him. Yeah, he's only 23, too. That's the, that's the thing you have to remind yourself with Kelly Arncrook. He's only 23 years old. I mean, Philip Forsberg's a man-child. Not everyone's going to be Philip Forsberg to play his kind of game with his body type. Yarncrook uh, could stand to, like, inject whey protein into his veins and just get a lot bigger. But um, for now, I'm I'm kind of happy with it. I mean, it's it's uh, it's at least a, a nice stopgap. Yeah, and, and the one knock against him has has been his uh, erratic face-off numbers. But again, that... Despite having sometimes poor faceoff numbers, he's come out on the positive side of things. Yeah, and so he, even if he's losing, he's they're getting the puck back and they're making things happen. Yeah, and uh, again, he was uh, doing really well earlier in the season, but I don't think that he was matching up to you know the Taves and the Bergerons and things he like that. He actually did pretty good against Bergeron. Taves had his number in Chicago, and he Yarncroke did okay in Nashville. He didn't do great against the Avalanche at all. Mm-hmm. That was the one thing. That was the one knock he had. The worst game he had of the week was by far against the Avalanche. And I think we'll see some growing pains with him as he gets up there because he's only been up there for, what, four four games now, five games now? Mm-hmm. Just this week. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I, I don't think this is going to be something that happens overnight. I don't think he's going to, you know, be the fix or the answer. Um, but I think that the team is playing a little bit better with him up there. And again, um, I can't remember if you mentioned this or not, but it opens up Mike Ribeiro to get away from playing against the heavy competition and give him some more, some more sheltered minutes to where he can play his game a lot better. Cause Mike Ribeiro 
despite what anyone says, has never been a 1C. He's always been a career 2C at best. One season in Dallas where he played, uh, and he got like, he had like a 60-point year mm-hmm. where um, I think he was on the line with Brad Richards where they moved Brad Richards off of center. And they just lit. No, it was Brendan Morrow. I'm sorry. They played him beside Brendan Morrow. It was the year that the, um, I want to say it was like the year the Stars made it like the conference finals. Uh, Marty Turco that year. Oh, I remember Marty. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure Marty Turco is like a combination of Ed Belfour and Craig Ludwig just merged together. That's a different story. Did he play with Madonna that year? Yeah, uh, Madonna was. That uh, was the year that like they had they had a loaded team that year. Was yeah, I just I can't remember if Ribeiro was playing like on the line with Madonna or not. Because mm. I mean that would have helped. Because even like right before Madonna left, he was still really good. It was just like that last year in Dallas, and then the year well, before he went to Detroit. I think, yeah, I, th- I don't know if that year was when Madonna was actually playing more like a third line, like utility type minutes. No, no, no. Point. This was no. This was, that, was, uh, was that prior to that? It was prior to that. Like 2007. Like, yeah, 2007. Oh, okay. It was that time. Okay. Uh, I don't think Ribeiro was even in Dallas at that point. So, and here's kind of to come full circle back to Andy's question with this. You have two schools of thought here as far as the window of the Nashville Predators, and this is kind of a bigger philosophical discussion that um, we're talking. We, we've harped that we're not going to have Apex Peck Arena for much longer, if at all. Uh, going forward. Weber, we don't worry as much about it because I'm, he's just turned 30. Duncan Keith won the Norris Trophy last year at 31. And there's people that can fill Weber's shoes a lot easier than there's people that can fill Pekka's shoes. Plus, Weber, if he gets if he improves his positioning, uh, I don't know something, Link, you've talked about quite a bit, with, that he can stand to learn get from a guy like Barrett Jackman about positioning better. Weber can adapt his game and, and still be a very effective NHL player. Yeah. So... If you're looking at a bigger scope of the Nashville Predators here, as far as the goaltending being the key to not necessarily this particular window, but the next window. The next window meaning that whenever UC Saros is up to speed, when is the Nashville Predators' technical window for winning a title? Is it just the next two years, or is it something? Is it more likely to be in the three to seven years following it, that? It, it, this is this question, and it, it's interesting to ask the question right now because it's a little bit impossible to answer. And the reason I say this is because we're seeing we're we're, we're maybe seeing another shift in style already in the NHL, uh, based around what da- Dallas is building and doing. Um, and so I I think. Uh, Teams are going to start reorienting maybe a little bit in that direction. You've got coaches experimenting, like like Ken Hitchcock. We were talking about how he was experimenting with goaltending. Uh, coaches are starting to play around more, and and you know you're even getting teams like the Flyers who are breaking longstanding trends and bringing in Hackstall and bringing in coaches who are are coming in from you know the NCAA and other areas, uh, bringing new ideas and new ways of doing things. So I think we're going to see a shift and. It's going to be interesting to see how the Predators adapt to that shift because they've been trying to do things in their own way, and that's Laviolette's way, which is the way he's put forth at multiple organizations now and found varying degrees of success. Uh, so I, I, it's really tricky, and I do think there's a lot of things that Predators can do to, to get get set for that. I, I think investing a ton of money in goaltending, not smart idea. You need good enough goal. I mean, I say this all the time, but I think going forward, you're going to see that more and more. And that's really even to what you're saying, Dan, about, hey, you have a 1A, 1B. That's You, you are going to rotate regularly. Everyone's going to get a lot of play time in net. You, know, you can't be paying guys a ton of money if, you, if you're planning on doing that. And it changes fundamentally how you build teams. So it's really hard to predict if the Predators are going to be, if their window is short or if their window is in the future, depending on how they can keep developing players, if they have the right 
goaltending prospects lined up because you don't want to be buying that. And that even pays that even plays into the whole center debate because are you getting a, are you wanting to go out and break the bank to get a center that's uh, like a Johansson, Duchesne, uh, Nugent Hopkins, or do you want to try to develop the you guys the guys that you already have in the system and then win with those guys? And that's what I was going to kind of build off. That's perfect that you said that because I was going to build off what Link said also because um, it is so hard to gauge what the Predators have because they've got guys in the system like. Uh, Yakov Trenin and uh, uh, Kamenev or Jimenev, however you want to say it, uh, uh, Moy uh, as well. Like these guys, um, uh, Novak, I think, is is another one that they're really high on. Um, You've got these guys that, you know, went in the second round, third round, that you are very hit or miss. Like they've got that um, potential to be, you know, a second round steal that could come in, be a number one center for a team. But at the, second, at the same time, if they were more of a sure thing, they would have gone up higher in the draft. So you don't know how their development's going to go. So you have right now a good uh, supporting cast with, you know, Pecorine and uh, Weber there as well. And guys like Neal and Forsberg and Smith that can, um, that can score most of the time and then a good defense. So you've got all those pieces there, but it's still missing that, like, that 1C that we talked about. So do you wait for that and see if it develops in-house and then you know, maybe your goaltender is missing or like James Neal is a little bit older and out of his prime? So it's just kind of one of those things where it's just I, I think of it as this like, amoeba that's rolling around that it's strong on one end but weak on another and then they start to get strong on the other end and the other end fizzles away so i think it just depends on what they're trying to do now versus where they see this team going in the future and what how they want to stock up and they already did stock up on centers at this last draft possibly to maybe take that it was a smart approach to just sort of gamble on a lot of centers if you know you need one and you need an elite one and you don't have the draft position to ever do actually do that, you might as well just take every dart you can find and throw it at the dartboard and see if one of them hits. Because, I mean, it, it worked for Detroit. Yeah, yeah, and it looked also like, because I think you've talked about this as well, is you always want to uh, draft be- best player available. Like You don't want to draft for current needs right now because you don't know what your needs are going to be yeah, in three unless or four Unless you're picking one-two. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think also at the same time, that's one of those things where they did a combination of both where, I mean, they said that they had like, they would have taken Yakov Trenin in the first round if he was, if they had a first round pick um, and he was able to fall and I got him like, you know, 50 something overall. Um, but then you see these players that could be really good that they were like, well, they just have any center. We need center right now. I think it was a little bit of a mix this past year. I want to touch on something you said talking about um, these guys would have been picked in the first round. You mind the guys that you were talking about, Kamenev, Trenin, Russians. There's still that old boy mentality of the of everyone being afraid of the Russian factor, whereas the KHL is hemorrhaging money and you know they're not paying their players. And I think it was a calculated risk to take Kamenev and Trenin. I mean Kamenev especially because there was a we know he wanted to play in the NHL, but he did an existing KHL deal at the time. Mm-hmm. So that may have played into it. I think Nashville. I mean Craig Button loves Kamenev. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to having him on the uh, the show at the station at some point. I want to ask him for my my common of update next time I get on. Yeah, well, I was actually listening last time he was on there, and he was just, he, I think he went for, what, a good, like, five, seven minutes about he, ha- he just liked gushing Fiala. about him. He liked Fiala a whole lot, but he just, he could not wait to talk about common of. Yeah. That, was, that made me feel I mean, good. You, you talk a little, you say the, uh, the old boy thing against Russians. I would say that faded, and I think it's come back in the past couple of years. Yeah, and... I, 
I mean, look at, I mean, prime example right now. Um, oh, well, you have two of them. You've got um, uh, Tarasenko in St. Louis. But I think the big one right now is uh, Evgeny Kuznetsov because they drafted him knowing full well that he probably wasn't going to be suiting up in the NHL for the next, like, three years. Um at, at the very least, and it went on even longer than that. And then it got to the point where it was, he's never going to come over and play. He's never going to suit up in a Capitals uniform. He's never going to do anything. And then he comes over, um, not last year, but the tail end of the year before that. Does okay. Does okay last year. And now he's a point per game player, being one of the, you know, one of the highest scoring players that the Capitals have. Um, and just, it's, they're showing that the, patience that the Capitals organization have and even though that they had a question mark on Kuznetsov who dropped to them at like 23 even though I think he was scouted as being a top 10 player in the draft overall not just European but overall and no one wanted to take a flyer on him because of that that question mark on him and they're reaping the rewards there's a few organizations who are confident that I mean the Capitals are have no qualms taking Russian players. No. I mean they. I mean Ovechkin alone is sort of a. He will. Well, he's an ambassador. For yeah, he will, he, yeah. He. Yeah. Exactly. You can. You can just send him to Russia and make them feel instantly better. Uh, so I mean, there there are a few organizations that are the exception to it, but it, mm-hmm. there seems to be there's. A, I mean, the Predators for years were so hesitant to take Russians because of the Radulov thing. And before that, though, they were taking them left and right. Yeah, and now and now they've they took they well, took a waiver on a bunch of. You know, not sure things, guys. Who, who you couldn't tell if they're going to be over here or not. And I think Kamenev was the start to that when they picked him in the second round. You're like, oh, hey, look at that. And that was a that was a pretty high second round pick too. That mm-hmm. was forty second or something yeah. like that. Forty second, forty sixth. That's the mo the thing that will drive me nuts about the draft is that you know outside of the first ten picks, it is such a crap shot about whether these guys are actually going to convert into an NHLer. If you're not sure that you want to take a Russian player because they may not come over, well, guess what? That good old Canadian boy you pick is probably not going to make the NHL, statistically speaking. So you might as well take... Oh, you might as well draft the guy who has a better shot of making the league and risk him maybe not wanting to come over than you are a guy who's probably never going to make the league in the first place. Amen. I mean, what's what? the worst thing that happens in the end is you get neither player, which is... If that's how drafts work. Most of the time, you're not going to get the guy you draft because the NHL is hard to get into. No one, when he says about talent, uh, talent distribution throughout a 30 team league or a 32 team league, even you know, people elevate their game, things improve. Mm. I mean, I, I, I bet, I bet Zach Ronaldo would have given him fits if he was playing hockey back in 1934. He probably, he'd probably be like a 40 goal guy. Probably he'd be like Eddie Shore with you know a worse facial hair. No. And and more like and a blacker soul, more schizophrenia Ooh. or whatever. Ooh man, Eddie Shore wore a cape in warmups. <laughs> was that to keep, <laughs> was that to keep him warm or just for the dramatic no, effect? No, he literally wore a cape and skated around during warmups because he knew he was the bad guy. So uh, further proof of that. Uh, let's see, Derek Forbert. I don't know. No one can tell me who he plays for right now. Uh, Austin Watson, Joey Hishon. We're all taken right around the same area as Vladimir Tarasenko. And Vladimir Tarasenko, uh, Blues fans were shocked that he was coming over so early. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal. So that was the lockout. Yeah, I mean, the, the the dream still is to play in the NHL for for everybody. I mean, there's certainly an attraction. I think the the CHL, um, the Champions Hockey League, has, is certainly garnering more interest. I don't think I can't remember. I don't think the KHL is actually involved in that. I think they they no, don't, didn't want to get. You told me that there was a there was an issue with that. Uh, yeah, but I mean, so I mean, they're they're starting to try to build in more prestige, but still, people want to. 
the players want to be in the NHL. And and the big barrier is that I think a lot of times teams and and players make the the Russians coming over feel very very uncomfortable. People people underestimate how different the Russian culture is because the Swedes and the Finns who come over acclimate very very quickly, but most of them grow up learning English. At least in Sweden, pretty much everyone there speaks English, so it's it's very easy to adjust um, in comparison to someone coming over from Russia. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, let's get into this real quick, unless we have anything else you guys want to bring in on this subject. No, I'm good. Cool. Yeah, I'm good. Because uh, earlier today, it actually was a lot more in depth. I, I, know I kind of went off on a tangent there. I was completely unscripted. You're a tangent. I know. You're a tail. <laughs> um, I love tally. Uh, I, saw, I saw earlier today the expected goals chart. And uh, we did a little bit of research on this because, I mean, I, I, the whole premise of it sounds cool as far as a way to gauge like how like you're as far as your chances and how your team's actually performing as opposed to possession numbers. Um, in layman's terms, Chris Link, expected goals. Yeah. So um, I, I, I've mentioned briefly before that expected goals is a, is a stat that crops up in a lot of sports. Uh, it's, it's been used to great effect by stats nerds in, in soccer for a long time and, and they found a lot of success. Uh, and so it's, it's starting to, this year was adapted to hockey and, the cool thing about it is that we use Corsi and all these things a lot, which is really like very, very, very simple. I mean, people talk about fancy stats, advanced stats. Corsi is not exactly complicated. Expected goals is a lot more complicated. There are regressions involved. Ooh, that's scary. It's a word. Regressions. That regressions are very like. scary. Where will you be when regression? Yeah. Hits? So, so just just to run through these these are the variables, the things that affect the expected goal number. So we have Fenwick, which is which is Corsi without the not counting block shots. So you have Fenwick going in, you have shot distance, shot angle, the type of shot, slap shot, wrist shot, etc. All those going in. Uh, was the shot even on the rush? Teams are more likely to score if they're on the rush. They're coming in with speed into the zone. So are, was it on the rush? Yes or no. So that's kind of an on or off. Uh, was it a rebound? rebound? You're more likely to score on a rebound than on not on a rebound. Uh, was the guy shooting, and this is how specific we get, was he on his off wing or was he on his natural wing? So we're getting very, very detailed. And on top of that, there is a individual modifier that each shooter gets to adjust what their own expected goal number is. And that has a whole bunch of, of that's where the regression comes in. There are lots of scary formulas behind the scenes going on in Excel spreadsheets. So it'd basically be like saying like Steven Stamkos, when he shoots his shot from somewhere, is more likely to score than say like uh, Paul Gossett. Yeah, you're, you're trying to create a, a normalization so that everything's equivalent. So you know a guy like Stamkos, he's going to take a lot more shots. So you want to get a a point where everyone's shooting percentage is is stable. So it's not varying so much. So you're looking, that's where the regression comes in. So you have a single line, you can plot people roughly on that line. And so you have that modifier. You take all these things, you jam together, and you get the you get to an individual's expected goal number, which you can then apply to a team. You can apply to how many goals you would expect uh, to be scored against a goaltender, and try to predict what their save percentage could be. But what's been really cool coming out of this is looking at how this compares against Corsi, whatever what most people use right now, or goals for which people also use. Uh, it for the entire team, it's more predictive, and this is based off of I think they went back to two thousand seven. So 2007 to 2014-2015 season. Uh, so they found it was more predictive at the team level. It was more predictive at the individual level um, or, or the skater, individual skater level. And then just as a isolated from their team, independent as a separate entity, it's also predictive at that level. So you, you, and it's more so than Corsi, more so than goals for. And that's really cool. 
Uh, and, and so I've been tracking this uh, all season long, just like looking at the charts. It's um, DTM about heart, which, you know, don't tell me about heart um, on Twitter. Uh, po- post charts every day. They're fantastic. Uh, and I just think it's a really cool measurement. And, and it just, it's shown to be predictive. And the Predators have a history of being pretty good on it, actually, at least recently. Yeah, I'm looking at the chart now that they posted earlier today with uh, just expected goals for a team. And Nashville's number one. And it, the closest team to them is the Kings. And if I'm looking at the uh, if I'm looking at this correctly, the Kings actually have, they have a good bit of distance between them and the Kings. As far as the expected goals allowed per 60, uh, Nashville is far and away the best in the in the league. They're the only team that's under two. Mm. Well, that's their expected. Yeah. That's not their actual. That's their expected, yes. Yeah. So that, that right there illustrates the point you were talking about earlier, John, with the defense that the defense is doing everything they can to limit the opportunities, limit the quality of opportunities, and still... Well, if, if, if you look at um, the same the same gentleman, um, and I will remember his name someday, uh, if you look at... He also puts out a, a uh, like a spread. It shows all the starting goaltenders and if they're above or below the average. And Peck is very much below the average where you expect him to be. So as really what's being dragged down here is, one, the, the Predators aren't actually scoring as many goals as you expect them to score which was true last year as well mm-hmm. um they were one of the better scoring teams last year they i think they were top seven or eight in the league they were very good with scoring um they owned everybody five on five last year yeah and this uh, and that's a big caveat all these numbers are five on five nothing there are no special teams in, included in this as of yet uh so the predators were really good last year they're even better this year which makes sense you'd expect them to to, to advance forward um i mean and they have guys like yossi who's I think he's he's first or second in the entire league in expected goals for a defenseman. Uh, which number is, two, Buffalo's number one. Buffalo's number one. There you go. Um, and he's even scoring fewer than he, than you'd expect him to score. Uh, so you do have a Predators team who's not scoring quite as much, and they're also they're just not getting the goaltending they need, and that's dragging down, or well, r- rather pushing up the number of goals scored against them versus what you'd expect. Uh, so the way that positions them, and and there's a really great chart that has skill uh, it, it how good they are versus how lucky they are and right now the predators have been trapped for weeks now in the the worst category which is good and unlucky right so they're a good team they're actually if you look at their goals against they're considered pretty boring they don't give up a lot of goals against in theory um but they've just been ridiculously unlucky through all of november and i think that's one thing that uh just about anyone can see from uh, from like just watching the games on a regular basis is that there's a lot of opportunities that the Predators are getting. They're doing a lot of great things. They're just not getting rewarded for it. And you would hope that eventually that would kind of even out. It hasn't done that yet, but I mean, we're still in the middle of December. Um, even though we're about 30 games into the season, there's still, you know, 50 games to go. And, you know, I, I saw a lot of people in the comment section at the recaps um, uh, yesterday and this morning, uh, you know, bemoaning the fact that, well, this team isn't going to make the playoffs. This team isn't a good team. I mean, you look at where they are right now. They're absolutely not getting the results that they want. And I'd say every once in a while not playing up to where they should be. They're still five points ahead. Like they're in the second wild card spot right now in uh, in the West, which doesn't sound so great, but they're, I think five points ahead of Winnipeg for that spot and only like four points away from being second in the division. And for it being the central, that's pretty freaking good yeah. for not performing up to their standards. Um, so yeah, I, I, I firmly believe that we are seeing a predators team that is not getting the results that they could be. 
And even though they might not be playing up to their A game all the time, I definitely think that they're it's going to get better than what yeah. we're seeing right now. And, with, and, and this is where you move away from numbers. And, and I've talked about this before. This is where those, those things like attitude and mental fortitude and, and heart come into play. Because when you're going through these stretches, you know, we, had a, we had a quote, I think it was from Weber, where he was talking about, was like, we're doing all these things. We don't know what we're doing wrong. We're not finishing our chances. But there's no excuses. And I kind of list, looked at that quote. And I'm like, that's some classic hockey BS. Because... You guys are creating good chances. You're creating. You, you've changed the way you're going after the net, so you're creating better chances, and things are still going against you. Um, you're not getting the goaltending you're used to getting. Uh, there's only so much you can do, and your PKs. You can identify some very clean problems, but offensively, the only thing that's going wrong is that things just aren't clicking like they should, and there's so much randomness that goes into a single goal that it's hard to... to it, when, some, when your captain is saying, uh, we, we're just not finishing very well, like, get over it you are fin- you, it, it, the puck's just not going in you're shooting fine you're creating good chances fix the things that need to be fixed right. and don't get caught up in, in the things and don't let the things that don't need to be fixed bog you down and weigh on your hockey soul yeah and i said earlier today too that the the this predators team does not have a whole lot wrong with it but what is wrong with it is more glaring than you think it should be um, and kind of like a, a sidebar I was looking at, granted you can take these numbers with a grain of salt because they came from the um, NHL web webpage, um, <laughs> but they do have a stat for uh, amount of uh, crossbars and posts hit. Um, <laughs> I wonder how they measure that. They're, they're, number, they're number two in the league. Dallas is number one, I believe Nashville's number two. And cause, I mean, of course, Dallas is number one. Yeah, well, they take so many shots. Uh, but yeah, because I just remember a couple, like a week or two ago, people were like, man, I wonder how many posts that they've hit and how many that, well, they've hit probably about like 20 posts so far. So if any of those have gone in, I think that probably could have changed, but that that's yeah, a I little mean, bit of a tangent. And, and, Let's have a moment of realism. We're talking about all these things like the Predators will match you better. They, I, I think, looking at it, they only have scored, uh, well, actually, this is actually a decent number, about, if you, let's round up. You want to round up? We'll round up. We'll round up. Five goals fewer than they should, which is probably worth a win or two. They're also I, shooting I, uh, 5.1% since the middle of November. I, I, I think that's because they take too many point shots, personally. But they've improved. Yeah, I was going to say, they've been getting a little bit away they've from been, that. But they still think they take a lot of points. There are these playing players now that are at least going to the front of the net, at least creating traffic. That's amazing. Amazing how that works. Yeah. That's probably <sighs> We'll dive a little bit more. Anything more on the expected goal? Because that was a, that's a lot of good stuff. Um, yeah, you know, it's just, uh, I'm, I'm watching it throughout the season. Uh, like I said, the historical data looks really good, but this is the first year that someone's been presenting and tracking it live, and... And so I just I like to keep my eye on to see how it shakes out because you know it's not going to be perfect because you you know nothing is nothing is perfect but we just are looking for what would Corsi have predicted, um, what would goals for have predicted, what would uh, expected goals predicted, and you'd expect to continue to see the trend of of um, expected goals to be to be more predictive. That's a boring sentence. <laughs> what what a way to end. Well, so if Nashville's at the top of the expected goals table. We're feeling pretty good about that, right? Yeah, you, you'd expect them to definitely make the playoffs. You'd expect them uh, to to possibly finish in you know challenge for the Presidents Cup trophy. Uh, trophy? Well, yeah, and right sport. now, uh, uh, Michael uh, McCurdy, McCurdy, I'm, I'm I so apologize, McCurdy. McCurdy. I, I believe it's McCurdy. Anyway, um, his um, 
charts. I think they're called like Oscar plots or uh, they basically, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they basically predict, you know, with the way that winds are going and everything like that. Is who's going to add ineffective math? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think he's got president number two. Uh, Preds number two in the division is where they're expected yeah. to finish. And also, uh, in, at Ineffective Math, go follow him. Uh, go support his stuff. Uh, he gets a lot of really good really stuff. Like yeah, don't use Sports Club stats. Use his stuff. He's got a better model. Uh, but yeah, so as of right now, he's got them finishing second in the in the division. Um, and his his things are pretty good. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're, we are a bit... We're acknowledging the doom and gloom a bit here. Yeah. But um, it's not all bad. We like to have optimism. Yeah. We like to believe... Speaking of believing, I think you guys are going to like this uh, edition of Five Tough Questions. Um, it's pretty heavy, so we'll get into it. Number one, right now, looking across the league, if you had a vote for the Norris Trophy, who would be the most deserving player uh, 30 games into the season? I, I I think you just go ahead and give it to Carlson again. I mean, uh, the, uh, the fact that he is so effective on such a bad team, and he can sort of... Uh, it's not often you can see a defenseman drag their team into wins, and he can do it without being a defensive liability yeah i think the notion of him being a defensive liability is more narrative than anything else well, he's gotten better yeah he's gotten better I mean, he used to not play at all in the pk right just throwing that out there that's where the narrative came from and poor mike green wishes that they also started doing the whoever wins the points scoring race and the defenseman wins the norris he was uh, about five years too soon. Yeah, well, he and Shea Weber can get together and have a side cup of tea <laughs> about how they, they were they were good at the wrong times. Yeah. Very true. Number two, Victor Arvidsson's kind of carving out a role in the team uh, in the absence of Car- Colin Wilson and Gabrielle Bork. Of the remaining games in, this, in the remaining in the season, uh, how many games does Victor Arvidsson play for the Nashville Predators this year? Is there a percentage wise? So there's about like 50 games left. Let's yeah. just round but, but, that. Just use a percentage. Do you, do you want? Do you want? Do you want what my heart's answer is? You can give me the heart's answer, and you can my, give my, me the, my heart's the, answer is all of them. Yes, he yeah. needs to play every single one. I think we're all on accord on that. Uh, what will actually happen though? 75 percent. Um, assuming Mike Fisher literally explodes in the ice, and Eric Nyström is caught by the shrapnel and his body gives out. I think he, you know, 75% to, you know, I'd like that number. Mm-hmm. Okay. Number three, we've seen a rough start to the year for Colin Wilson, who should be returning from his lower body injury. Right now he's sitting at nine points. How many points will Colin Wilson finish the season with? Hmm. The Canadian, the Canadian Alexander Semen. Interesting. Uh, he identifies himself as American. He, when, when he, when he goes home, when the season's over, he goes to Canada. He goes to Winnipeg, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he plays... He, he For international purposes, he's American. For actual where he's from, he's Canadian. Maybe that's what what's wrong. He needs to get out into, like, some more parks or something like that. You know, Winnipeg, it's lack of parks. How many points does Colin Wilson finish the season with? God, how many does he have right now? Do they have nine. any? He has nine. I'm going to say 34. Okay. It's a, a good number. Yeah. Such a good number. I'm going to say that he goes on a tear like he always does and like starts getting two points in four games and five points in six games. And and he ends the season like that and then disappears in the playoffs again. He Actually, he didn't disappear in the playoffs. He just had a really good time on the power play. Yeah, that was about it. I just I, I did some arbitrary math in my head to say what I think he would score goals and how many assists he would get, and he mm-hmm. came up to 35. So, Ooh, damn okay. it, John. <laughs> Well, we're we're playing prices right rule as closest without going over. One dollar, Bob. <laughs> Number four, the Golden State Warriors, which Link is a basketball team. They play in California. Yes, uh, they finally lost a game. They started the year on a twenty-four game winning streak and finally lost to the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, Daniel. I Ad- like their logos. 
uh, Wonky's new logos with the deer. It's great. Yeah, with the like the very subtle M on the chest. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, Patrick contributing. Kane, <laughs> uh, we got an alert during the show. Patrick Kane extended his point strength to twenty six games. In your mind, between the two of them, what's a more impressive streak? Uh, winning twenty four straight games in the NBA or scoring twenty six points or uh, twenty six uh, straight games? And as a bonus uh, part of the question, what is your personal favorite uh, hockey or other sports streak in history? I would say that winning 24 games in a row is more impressive because, I mean, with Patrick Kane, he's got to just do one. He doesn't, he doesn't even need to be involved in the goal all that much, and he can still get a point. He can pass it to someone who passes it to someone else who scores an empty net goal. Boom, there's another uh, tally on the point streak. But even in a sport like basketball, there are so many things that can go wrong with a team that could cause you to lose. And to do that for 24 games in a row as like a, on a team level, that's impressive. Yeah, I I, I agree entirely. Um, I I would go. I'm going to go with the basketball thing as well. All because of all those reasons, John gave. Also because I am not going to give Kane credit for anything. Literally nothing. That's perfectly fine. As far as your personal favorite, um, mine would be Joe DiMaggio's hit streak. Just because we'll never see that happen again. Um, but Cal, Cal Ripken's Iron Man streak is a good one too. Yeah, this day and age where baseball players like will sprain something while carrying deer meat from a freezer or hockey players will pull something while eating pancakes. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping you'd go that direction. Yeah. Uh, the Iron Man streak was really something. Link, you got anything? Probably not. I'm trying to remember. Um, I mean, I'm enjoying, I'm trying to remember the name of that Leicester City striker who is like practically a nobody. And Jamie Vardy? Jamie Vardy, who's like setting like records for most goals scored in a row, but he's probably never going to do it again. So I'm, I'm just love, I just kind of love that what was happening. The money question, number five. Can Callie Yarncroke hold on to the number one center position for the Nashville Predators until the trade deadline hits or longer? Can he? Yes, he can. Will he? Will, will, will uh, utility and value be overshadowed by age and terrible joints? It's the Predators, so probably. So you think Mike Fisher's going to get the first crack when he comes back, or... Have we had an update on Mike Fisher? We were uh, supposed I, to get a reevaluation after five games. It's been more than five games. He was skating at morning skate or their practice on Saturday, uh, along with Colin Wilson, but I don't know if I've heard any official word on when he's supposed to be coming back, which, I mean, I'm not shocked by because, you know, four games. Yeah. Um, Old guy. Give him some time. Yeah. I mean, I would hope, I would hope that they keep what's been working and again even though they had that dud against Colorado and that not so great game against Chicago I mean I think so far it's been working pretty well so I don't know I just when Mike Fisher comes back it probably means Sissons gets sent back down and I hate that Sissons has played so well let me get my Sissons flag out again couldn't, wave like, it. what about Salamaki would he be maybe a, a earlier well, I guess it depends on if they want to switch Sissons to the wing because Sissons oh. right now is uh, uh, holding down that third line center spot. He's doing a pretty good job of it right now. Can you send down Hodgson. Can you even do that? Well, it's Hodgson's oh. playing wing. It's it's one of those things where now, like, not only do you not have a number one center, you've got too many centers of mediocre value that are clogging up that like middle line. So. Just wave God, wave Godstead, put Sissons on the fourth line, 
Put, don't don't tease me like that. Put, 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 fi- put Fisher on the third line. Put Fisher on the fourth line. Let's let him grind away down there with uh, with Bork and Salamaki and just ruin lives. You, hey, that's a good way to keep him preserved until the playoffs if you need to play a larger Bing. role. And you can put him on the power play and do what he does because that's where he scores a lot of his goals. This makes too much sense. <laughs> the Predators will never do it. No, they'll never do that. Only 50 more games with Gostad left. <laughs> they resign. No, we're going to sign him a year-long contract oh, for like no. 1.5 million. No, it'll be it'll stupid. be two years because okay, with a no trade clause. Yeah. <sighs> that's so We've been so burned by these contracts. <laughs> no kidding. Um, I meant that emotionally, not cap-wise. Looking at the schedule, just kind of uh, see what's ahead in store for the Predators. We had, we forgot to do our predictor last week, which the Predators went two and two this past week uh, against the competition. Pretty respectable, but um, uh, yeah, especially how they were playing going into the week. Uh, they start off with Calgary, and Calgary is just not having a great start to the year. So that's I think, I think they've been doing better recently, but I pay zero attention to the Flames. This is an important week. You got Calgary, you got St. Louis coming in on Thursday, and you got Minnesota at home. You got you're going to St. Louis on Thursday, and then you got uh, Minnesota at home. Um, not a bad, never a bad time to go three and zero. But this would be a good week to do that. Yeah, but I'm I'm feeling like a, I'm you know what you know what I'm going to go not Super Bowl. I'm going to go with a two zero and one. I think they pick up five points this week. I think that they're going to go two and one, two one and zero. It's because you don't have the heart we do. No, I, well, I went optimistic last time. I've been burned by that. I think I've gone optimistic every other time. I, I have maybe not. I, I have know. no optimism in my predictions, and I have nothing but optimism in my predictions because I know how little they matter to the world. Yeah, this will be a, an important week though, because I think, um, well, I mean, last week was an important week as well. I mean, they wrestled two two points out of uh, Chicago. Uh, which was big. They should have won that Avalanche game. That was a huge disappointment. Um, so now they they've got a they've got to regroup. They've got a Flames team that even if they're doing well right now, they're not. They're sitting at the bottom of the pack um, in an awful Pacific Division. Actually, they might be ahead of Edmonton. I'm not really entirely sure. Well, I mean that's that's still not very well. They're very they're, impressive. I think they're ahead. Um, they have well. I think they're they're only ahead because they played a few, one fewer game. Uh, well, actually, they're ahead of the Ducks and the uh, and the, the Oilers. They've got twenty eight yeah, well, points. What's happening at Anaheim is inexplicable. No one knows what's happening. Now. And Calgary has won five their last five games. What? Yeah. So is Edmonton. So I mean, who knows? Oh, okay. Yeah, but I believe I, I don't know if they're playing next. I'm not going to look at it anyway. So they've got a Calgary team that they should win against. But Calgary always gives Nashville fits. Like I don't know. How it's a it Tuesday happens. night. It's like the ultimate bad storm, like perfect storm against the Predators. Yeah, Tuesday night against Calgary. The narrative's so strong right there. Uh, but uh, if they want to snap out of this funk and start climbing the standings, they have prime, prime opportunity to do so against the Blues and against the Wild. I mean, those are two teams that they're directly um, competing with against. And if they win those two games, I mean, those are huge four-point games. They can. They're at I a think, wild card. They're definitely at a wild card spot. They're, I, I think that they can honestly, if they win against uh, Minnesota and. And the Blues, I think they can vault up to second in the division. Yeah, they could. They could finish second. Yeah, assuming St. Louis is stays static. Yeah, because I mean they're at thirty five points right now. Minnesota's at thirty six. Uh, St. Louis is at thirty eight. So they could certainly at least put themselves up into a divisional spot, if not yeah, hop I mean, St. Louis, yeah, depending a, on what it's, happens. It's individual games. It's all. It's huge. Yeah, they it's need to win those. Huge. Yeah, the Blues are not. Um, the Blues are kind of like a mirror image of the Predators so far, as far as not being terribly lucky. And, uh, of course, the Blues have dealt with a lot more injuries well, than Nashville has. The Blues have been, been painfully consistent. 
I mean, up up until recently, I think they were like eight four and two in, on the road and eight four and two at home. That's that's a recipe for success, like for long term success. Is that sort of evenness? Yeah, nine nine five and, and two yeah. at home, eight four and two at and, home uh, away. Yeah, I think that's, they've actually improved. Yeah, it's yeah crazy. nine six and two and eight four and two. So they had kind of a rough week, but whatever. The Blues. Are, I mean, I'm I'm looking at like their attendance numbers, and of course, with hockey, attendance numbers are always taken totally personal. But uh, Blues fans don't seem to be as excited about this team as they have been in years past because of that exact thing that they're just consistent. They're a you know well above average team that I think is just kind of saving their bullets for the playoffs. Well, what, what I think what St. Louis needs is is um, some sort of you know because they're being consistent, but they still need to bind together. They need a glue to hold them together, like. Cravel cheese or something like that. Ugh. Man. Yeah, but also at the same time, you could say that Blues fans are so jaded with the playoff streaks that they've been having recently. So it doesn't matter what happens. Recently? They've been around, they're they're going to celebrate their 50th anniversary. <laughs> it's all going to end in heartbreak. They had a captain's night the other night, um, which was magically the night that Jamie Benn fought David Backus. <laughs> Funny how that works. Right. So... All right, uh, any last uh, items of business before we uh, close up the shop? Uh, we are going to get a little bit to scheduling and let you guys know as far as programming goes because um, we have travel plans coming up. The soon. holiday seasons are arriving. Mm. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, we will not hear from us likely until 2016. Uh, we're going to do a best of show right around Christmas time. So, so by the time you're like arguing with all your parents and, and arguing with your, your neighbors and your friends and relatives, you can just put on your headphones, probably your nice new Beats headphones, and drown them out and listen to the best of them. I'm sorry, you just said nice new Beats headphones? You can say new, but you can't say nice. They're crap. I know they're crap, but still someone's going to buy them from somebody because, you know... Well, let's get... It's hip. Yeah, exactly. You know, Grandma's going to be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, that that that, uh, that Jesse could use some new headphones. Oh, let's get him these. I'm sure I've heard they're nice. That's how it happens. Personally, Audio-Technicas are awesome. Awesome headphones. There's so many better options, and like like you could go with Clips, uh, Auto Technica, mm-hmm. all good quality products. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we uh, shut the door on this one? I don't think so. We didn't talk about Pittsburgh firing their coach, which I could have gone on a tangent on for no years. This, we've actually had a two two strong shows where we're very much Nashville Predators centric. You, you want to know how how little can... I care about the Penguins? I didn't even know that happened. Really? <laughs> oh, wow. Now they uh, they fired Johnson. They're going to bring the guy that, who's their coach used to coach the Bruins, I believe. Mm-hmm. He has one of the fewest amounts of of actual games coached at any level compared to the rest of the league. Yeah, he brought the Bruins to a division title though, mm-hmm. at least twice. I think I can't remember his, those two seasons that he played or just the one. Um, but how is no one giving Mike Keenan a job? Imagine Mike Keenan with that team. Yes. What what I really wanted to happen is I wanted them to hold on to Mike Johnson so long to where it was like. Almost attainable for them to make the playoffs, but you knew it wasn't going to happen. Fire Mike Johnson, then ha- hire Adam Oates. And I would have just been like as happy as a pig and shit. Would have been great. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, I saw someone, I think it was one of the guys from uh, from the Boston SB Nation site that posted like about, hey, Sydney, so what were your late 20s like? And it's a picture of him with the mumps and the picture of the roster that the Penguins had. <laughs> and just how the Penguins are, are at. At the current at the current moment, only have one Stanley Cup with Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Marc Andre Fleury, and Chris Letang. Pretty good core across the league, correct? Yeah, except that they've done a crap job of building around that core. Yes, and that this is a colossal failure. You know, I I actually blame it on Sidney Crosby's obsession with the number eighty seven. 
I think that's just destroyed the team. Yeah, that that, that just has slowly taken over. It's more important that they fit more eighty sevens around Cindy Crosby than it is for them to find appropriate players. The reason he's not successful is because they can't have every player in his line wearing number eighty seven at the same time. Huh? I'm I'm, I'm missing something here. He's got an infatuation with the number. He's 87. obsessed with number eighty seven. Really? I know. Oh, is that the reason? That's why, why his cap hit is eighty seven is eight point seven million. I mean, you just look if, if you look up Cindy, he just does everything with eighty seven. Everything is with him is that way. It is super weird. Um, and I blame that sort of craziness for why the Penguins are struggling. I do like the fact that Malkins went out there and just completely taken over the team. He should. He should yeah. also take over the Predators. Yeah, maybe we should also start looking at the fact that maybe Sidney Crosby isn't so good anymore. Ooh. It's oh, possible. I think, I think, his, I think his, his soul has been 87% crushed. I think his soul's been 86 but that's not on the theme Ooh. of the joke. Ooh. No, it was just a bad pun. I know. It wasn't on theme, Dan. <laughs> Sorry. I, I have way more thoughts about that, but we'll save that till the end of the or the beginning of next year. Oh yeah. We'll save that. A little, little tantalizing morsel for the listeners. That, that's a lot of fun. Everyone enjoy your uh, enjoy your holidays. You can follow Chris on Twitter at three D Link. You can follow John on Twitter at JGarcia36. You can follow myself at Dan D Bradley. You can follow the show at on the forecheck. Uh, we're on onthefourcheck.com. You can get us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and if Michelle ever answers her freaking email, we'll get it back on TuneIn. I've emailed her twice. Damn now. Come on, Michelle, step up. Damn it, Michelle. I'm I'm serious. Like the the way to get your show on TuneIn is you email this person named Michelle. Is it is it Michelle or is it like Michelle? No, it's Michelle. Okay, just checking. Or Michael. That's mm. not Michael. Okay. Michael. Michelle Terrian, like that. Michelle. Anywho, everybody have a good holiday, and we'll talk to you in 2016.